Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger, and if you want to create a life with more money, more meaning, and more freedom, then you have to listen to the Shit You Don't Learn in College podcast with Xander Fryer. How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. All right, how's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. Today, my guest is the Jordan Harbinger. Now, Jordan is a Wall Street lawyer turned podcast interviewer with an approachable style and a knack for securing high-profile guests. His show, The Jordan Harbinger Show, was selected as part of Apple's Best of 2018. Jordan's show is one of the most popular podcasts in the world with over 11 million downloads every single month and guests like Kobe Bryant, Simon Sinek, Eric Schmidt, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Jordan also teaches nonverbal communication and social engineering to clients like the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, MI6, Google, Facebook, and more, and elsewhere in the public and private sectors. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Jordan is, he brings the fire. So uh, we dig into the trap of consumerism and how to steal and how it can steal your life uh, before you even realize it, why a steady paycheck can be more addicting than heroin. We're going to talk about the importance of consistency and a long-term vision vision when building a business and the best buy job offer that forced Jordan to start as an entrepreneur. You're not going to want to miss this episode. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. Every week, my team goes through our reviews. And for every new five-star review, we plant a tree to restore the rainforest of Madagascar and provide a child in India one year of e-learning. So give us a review and you're giving back too. All right. How's it going, everybody? We are back with another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer. And today we've got Jordan Harbinger on the show. Jordan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So uh, for for everybody who's not a huge Jordan Harbinger fan, uh, you know, like the uh, millions of people that listen to your podcast every single month, could you just give a, a quick background on on what you do for your for our audience? Yeah, so I I interview people I think are amazing or brilliant, even if they're like criminal masterminds or yeah. billionaires or astronauts, whatever. And I try and get them to teach something to the audience about what they do in a way that we can use. So essentially, like if I'm talking with a Mike Massimino about spacewalking and rep repairing the Hubble telescope, he'll teach us all these ways that you can die in space and how he 
they have systems to avoid that, and then uh, whatever you'll yeah, be so able nothing, to apply that even if you're not Nothing interesting at all, basically. Yeah. You try. Yeah, I try to keep it as mundane as possible. But I, you know, I also <laughs> had like a, a cr- counterfeiter who printed two hundred and fifty million in U.S. currency, yeah. and then uh, supposedly gave back two hundred million. But now I'm like, wait, isn't there fifty million left? And he's like, yep, got to go by. So I was like, that's. <laughs> I always try and get like kind of unique angles from some of these kooky folks that I have on the show. Yeah, I love it, man. So um, I love what you do and I love where you've taken your business. And and uh, obviously there's amazing people that you've gotten to interview, but you weren't always you weren't always a uh, an entrepreneur. You were actually, uh, you know, from a college standpoint, you started out being a lawyer. Right. Uh, right. Tell me tell mm-hmm. me about like why you didn't go down that like, you know, normal path that everybody else went down and how you ended up uh, getting into the entrepreneurial world. Yeah. So I honestly being a lawyer was something I was never super keen on doing. I really didn't feel like I I was never sort of like, this is going to be great. You know, a lot of people go into their field and they think it's going to be great. I I was kind of going into it thinking that this would be something that would be a temporary pit stop. Yeah. While my, while trying to figure out what to do with my life, I don't want to sound like too much of a, like loser. <laughs> um, but like, well, you think, know, I think that like you, you say it's a loser, but I think there's, there's millions of people that are going through that. Like they're forced into like, yeah. I'm going to be a lawyer. I was an engineer in college. Right. And like, we're forced into this route because it's what's laid out in front of us and not necessarily what we want to do. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and so I just kind of was like, all right, I need more education. I'm going to start bec- uh, be a lawyer on wall street, whatever. Well, actually it wasn't even wall street. It was, I'm going to go to grad school because I need to go to grad school. Cause I can't get a job after undergrad, which is because <laughs> they just tell you network, network, network. And I'm like, cool, whatever. What does that even mean? You, you network and you find out you can get a job at a minimum wage store selling CDs, you know, like somebody who never went to never finished high school. Yeah. And, and that was literally the case. I mean, I went and looked at jobs at Best Buy and they were like, yeah, you can work your way up because I was, I was a kid who could build computers and I had like work experience. And they're like, yeah, you everyone starts in the music department. And I'm like, my friend's little brother works there. He's 17. He's like a junior <laughs> in high school. What are you talking about? Yeah. Why is that? That guy's going to be my mentor. Like, are you kidding? Yeah. Like, I, is this a joke? I have $70,000 in debt and a degree and speak four languages. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I was like, not offended from an ego perspective, but more like, you've got to be kidding me that this is where, I, why did I go to freaking college? This then? system is broken if this is the only yeah. route that I can go down. Yeah. And, and like other people were like, oh, I'm going to go work. Uh, in New York. And I was like, cool. How did you get that job? And they're like, oh, um, my uncle owns the company. And I was like, yeah. okay, well, that that's not a strategy for me. And then it was like, oh, how did you get your job? Oh, well, you know, I worked for this company all through high school and now I'm an intern in corporate. And I was like, so, oh, so you're moving to New York, but you're not going to even, you're, you're not yeah. even going to get paid. And they're like, yeah, but eventually it'll turn into a job. And I was just like, yeah, that's what they're telling you right now. Yeah. Wait till you're an intern for two years. You've spent $40,000 or uh, eighty thousand dollars living in manhattan on your dad's dime which my dad didn't have those dimes and then you're gonna they're you're gonna go for a job and they're gonna be like yeah uh our cleveland warehouse needs an extra hand 725 an hour and you're gonna be pissed then and that's what happened to all of us so i was like nope not getting suckered into this bullshit i am going to go to grad school so i applied to a bunch of grad schools i got into a few programs Everybody told me that I couldn't get into the law schools that I wanted to. And, you know, 2020 hindsight, never listen to people like that. Like, listen to them for sure in terms of coming up with backup plans. 
Like they told me like guidance counselors from Michigan who talk about admissions were like, you're not going to get into Michigan law because your grades and scores are too low. Apply to lower tier schools. So I did, which was good because I definitely got into those and got scholarships, but I also got into Michigan. So basically, and if the guidance counselor at Michigan tells you you're not getting into Michigan, are they not credible? But the truth is they're not credible in the admissions office who actually makes those decisions. They were like, yeah, um, we don't want to discredit the guidance people, but they don't pick who gets in. And also we don't only look at scores. So which it even says that on the website. So why she said that is just like F you, you know, like what the hell? Um, So I got into Michigan law. And at the time, and, and I think it still is, it was one of the top 10 best law schools in the United States. And I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm so smart. I'm saying that because I technically wasn't quote unquote qualified to get in, but also that made the decision about where to go to grad school really easy for me. Because if you get into a local law school at such and such local university and they're, you know, then you get into another school for education, you're going to get a master's in education, even though you have no idea if you ever want to be a teacher or not. Uh, and then you get into some other program, but then you get into the, like this amazing program that you basically have no business being in, but that guarantees future career success. You just pick that one. You have to go. Especially yeah. when, especially when your grad, your entire motivation for going to grad school is you don't want to make minimum wage selling CDs at Best Buy, right? Yeah. Like, It was just a no-brainer. So I go to that school. I go to Michigan Law, and I'm like, wow, holy shit, everyone's really smart. But, you know, I I remember even going to them and going, am I going to make it here? And they're like, we picked you, therefore you are qualified. Like, you know, I was like, I'm going to fail. And they're like, no, you're not going to fail. Like, we don't pick people who are doomed. We want you to stay. Like, it makes us look bad if you drop out. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I went to Michigan Law, graduated, and ended up with a job on Wall Street. But again, I wasn't even planning to be a lawyer. I was just like, okay, I got into this great school and then I studied really hard because everyone was really smart. I had no choice but to sort of outwork everyone. And so once I studied really hard, I got decent grades and then I got offered a job on Wall Street, which was a top market job at the time. So I was like, okay, well, that makes this choice easy because now I'm getting paid, you know, 180 grand a year, which is more than my parents made combined at the peak of their careers before they retired. And this is my first year. And I was just like, holy shit, I'm going to be rich. Um, And even in then I thought, yeah, I'll just do this for a few years while I figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah. This was the interim plan while I continue to the brainstorming. Right. And, And the problem with this sort of lifestyle, and again, people are like, oh, poor guy who got a good job, like screw you, Jordan. And I get that. But I will say that is actually a uh, a warning. Yeah. Because what this is is y- you can get trapped by success it, it's and I, again I'm not like boo hoo I was making so much money out of college but like you can get trapped by uh who said this is like Nicholas Nassim Taleb said something like the 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 most addicting things in the universe are like heroin and a steady paycheck, right? Yeah. So and I can't remember if it was his original quote or not, but it's true because you go Oh, I'm going to do whatever I want out of college. Like I'm interested in all these cool things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I, you know, I might be a diplomat. That's like where I was headed. Cause I spoke four languages and worked at an embassy. And I was like, this is so interesting. You know, there's all this cool work to be done. I might go into law enforcement cause that I worked with the FBI and I was like, that's interesting. But then you get to wall street and they're like FBI pff, four years in, you're going to be making 50% of what you're making your first year at this firm, you know, before your bonus. Yeah, you're going to be driving a freaking Buick. Don't be don't be a loser. You know, the guys there would tell me that. And I'm like, okay, well, 
It does sound nice to be making ridiculous amounts of money. $180,000 a year doesn't sound bad. Yeah. yeah. Your first year, you get a raise of like 10 or 20 grand every year, you know, at yep. a law firm like that. So, because they know they have to do that to keep, well, the tr the secret is they have to do that so they keep you because otherwise you're like, this is not worth, I'm dying. They, they've here. literally bought my entire life from mm -hmm. me for mm -hmm. 10 to 20 grand raise every single year. A hundred percent. And then you get the golden handcuffs because yeah. it doesn't just end with a great job and the raises they encourage you to consume things. Like they don't have programs where they do this, but they'll invite in people that are like, oh yeah, yeah, this guy, this is my house guy. Get your Hamptons house now. Do you know, prices are only going up. This is an investment. Once, once you've got so your you, Hamptons house, you can't give up the $200,000 job. Right, and then, and then you gotta get a boat. Otherwise, what kind of loser are you with your Hamptons house in your Manhattan apartment, but no <laughs> boat? What a loser, right? Then you get married and you can't send your kids to a public school. You've got to send them to private schools. Don't go to that school, that t mere, that $15,000 a year school. That's for, that's for loser kids. You got to send them to $40,000 a year kindergartens, right? Well, and I'm not even exaggerating. Like that's what that shit costs in Manhattan. Yeah. Well, it's, it's terrifying because I actually lived part of this being in the engineering world, working for Cisco, you know, as a kid sure. making, making, you know, $200,000 a year plus, And I saw every single one of my managers and mentors making a little bit more, driving a little nicer car, and mm -hmm. everybody was pushing down that path. And, right, and you're working 89 hours and a week and on you're, a week yeah, where you're, you're working chilling. essentially yeah. two jobs worth. Um, but I, I, just like you mentioned, I always consider myself lucky for, for breaking out of that because the golden handcuffs were just getting bigger and heavier. Like, how mm -hmm. did you get out? Yeah, so this is where, I, the, where the warning gets scary. I had no plans to leave, but the economy had different plans. So it was 2007, and then I roll into 2008. I'm in the real estate department, and we kind of have this thing, <laughs> this nine-month period where they're like, okay, you don't have any work, but we're still going to pay you full salary and benefits. And I was like, this is the shit. You know, like, I'm getting paid for nothing. Then the firm's like, hey, so we might not be recovered by May. Because the whole thing was, we're going to be recovered by May. It's like yeah. February. And then it's like Bear Stearns goes out of business, big investment bank. And it's yep. like Lehman Brothers goes out of business, big investment bank. And I'm looking at our client roster and I'm like, we just lost like two thirds of our clients or like one third of our clients, whatever it was, like biggest clients anyway. And then it was like, this is not looking good. And then months later, they're like, hey, you don't even have to show up anymore, but you, you should be looking for other jobs, but we're still going to pay you full salary and benefits. And then it was like all hands meeting a couple months later and they're like, look, there's no chance we're recovering. Yeah. We're not sure what's going to happen to the firm. You all need to get other jobs. Yeah. Don't be freaking backpacking around Europe right now like some of you have been. Like, get your ass in gear and yeah. get another job. We can't guarantee. They, and to their credit, like, they were saying this, and they were like, don't leak this to the media, you know. But but they were saying this so that we didn't fuck around. Because, like, we there were plenty of us that were like, eh. And they're like, no, you're so screwed if you don't get yeah. another job ASAP. Because if the firm goes under, there's going to be people flooding the market. The economy is only going to get worse. The job market's only going to get worse. Like, don't think you're going to land on your feet if you're not trying to land on your feet. Yeah. And and they and then to their credit, they paid us for like the rest of the year, full salary, full benefits. Don't show up to the office unless you need to use the office. And they were like, HR and our secretaries are at your disposal for sending out resumes, faxes, you know, pretending you still work here, uh, getting <laughs> letters of recommendation. Like they really wanted us to land on the, on our feet, which yeah. I can say that most Wall Street firms probably didn't give a shit about their people as much as the, this firm did. I, at least not from the sound of it. So I was very stoked about that, but I decided, okay, I'm already, I've been podcasting for a while. I've been doing this like coaching company for a while. 
and, and a couple of my friends were like, yeah, I'm playing music at bars and it's awesome. And I'm just going to do that because I'm 27. And like, this is the only time in my life I'm probably going to be able to give music a go. And I was like, music, what a like, hello, dude. Yeah. He, he, 10 years ago, maybe. But I was like, you know, if they're going to go for it and then other friends of mine are starting their own little whatever firms and da, 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 and everyone's having trouble getting a job. And then I tried to get other jobs and I was like, eh, they're not working. And I got like offers from the police department, NYPD. And I was like, that would be cool. And then they were like, yeah, first year you're going to make 38 grand. And I was like, dude, my loan payments are 38 grand. Yeah. What are you talking about? So I just decided to give it a go. Deferred my loans, got a job at Sirius XM Satellite Radio that I loved. And I was like working there doing my show doing my podcast, doing my consulting and my coaching and stuff like that. Uh, at the time I was teaching like dating and networking stuff. And I was like, this is fun. Like, I'm just going to do that. And then I had no choice. And then we made it through the recession and we made like a lot of money during the recession. Like we made almost a million dollars doing what we were like kids that had no freaking clue how to run a business. We made almost a million dollars revenue, not like profit. I was still making like 20 grand a year, you know, <laughs> with my rent paid in Manhattan. Yep. I was by no means rich, but I was like, okay, if we can do this during a recession and we have no idea what the hell we're doing, there's we're like we're on to something business wise. Like this is a thing we can do. Yeah. What and, happens? Um, what happens if I actually put a little energy into really learning this? What happens if yeah. I hire somebody who knows how to run a business? Yeah. You know, like so we did that and then we started to scale up. And I, I was like, wow, we we were, were pretty lucky, but also like we are running a business is not some magical formula that like only a few people have. It's not, and, and, and when I grew up in Michigan, running a business meant owning like a coffee shop. Like there was, right. you know, or a barber shop. Like there wasn't like people running tech businesses, especially obviously during the nineties, there wasn't especially, but also there weren't people who were young who ran businesses. Like my parents were like, you can run your own business after you've been in business for like 20 years and you know how to run a business or 10. Yeah. You know, I was like, lawyers and who are in private got, practice. You've a couple hundred thousand dollars saved up and you can take out some loans and do all this stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, like you own your home. Yeah. You've got, you know, everything situated. I was like, I'm going to do this all backwards and just like fly by the seat of my pants and try not to go broke and then also not pay my loans for a while. And I kept paying my loans just because I could and I re re realized that deferral was not that great of an idea. Yeah. And it was like on and off, you know, just to keep them at bay. Um, and I didn't go into credit card debt and I'd saved a bunch of money from my law, uh, law, law firm, like Wall Street stuff. So I was able to do that and create the business and then, you know, slowly learn how to run a business. I don't necessarily recommend that. I think you should work for someone else, especially now that there are so many startups and there are so many other businesses where you can go and work and get paid to learn how to learn, work and learn run a business from somebody who's successful at it already. Absolutely. Like now you can go work at a startup. When I was coming up in 2007, Start, Facebook was a startup and nobody right. heard of going to work for a startup and you had to live in California and no people basically you had to go to Stanford with uh, whoever or like Zuckerberg's right. roommate, you know, you could work at Facebook. Nobody was doing this. It was like, you got a job. Now, if you want a different path, all you need to do is go, yeah, I'm willing to take kind of shitty pay and super long hours uh, and like free beer on Monday through Friday to like do this job. And then you learn how to do all these different things. I had to figure all that shit out by myself. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because you kind of mentioned it, it's almost like you were you were forced into entrepreneurship by being let go. And I think there's a lot of people yes. out there right now that are probably going through something similar, right? They're they're realizing that, you know, the safe path in a in a nine to five or a corporation, you know, a lot of people going through uh being let go and furlough over the last year, year and a half, being forced into entrepreneurship. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. This is where, you know, this is where change and, and all these amazing businesses come from, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's completely true. And, you know, I got very lucky in that my business had it was a good idea. Podcasting obviously turned out to be great. It moved really slowly. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying like, oh, man, forget podcasting. Like this thing is like dead in the water. It's like moving at a snail's pace. And and that's good because my brain apparently moves also at a snail's pace. Like my learning curve is a snail's pace. So now that podcasting is like 15 years old and my podcast is 14 and a half years old, now I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing and I know how to hire and I know how to run a team and I know how to like sell and I know only, how to do all these things. Only took the better part of a couple decades, but we're there. Right, right. But like if, if, if I had, if, if podcasting had moved as fast as like the app space, I would have just been bowled over by other people that knew how to run stuff, knew how to do stuff. Podcasting moves so slowly that all the super, super smart people, like they they saw other uh, ideas on how to do stuff. Other creators were like on YouTube. Podcasting moved at this like cruise ship pace that I move at. So now I'm able to stay at the top of the podcasting space because it gave me so much runway. It was like impossible to fail as long as I showed up every day. And that's like where we are now. So so you you say you move at a, a snail's pace. What what has it been that's allowed you to be so successful over the last 15 years and continue to grow and scale? You know, um, I think it's it, well, it's hard to say. It's always 2020 hindsight. But I would say that I am pretty consistent. Yeah. You know, I show up every day and do the show and I for for like 7 years I wasn't even thinking about selling ads. I wasn't thinking about yeah. Uh oh, I've got to be getting millions of follows. I w and also I wasn't doing it for vanity, but I also was not doing it for money. Like yeah. I had the other business, the coaching thing going, the podcast was doing lead gen for that. That was fine. I was making a couple hundred grand a year, which is great. You know, and then and after after 7 years. And then like as my interview skills slowly started to get better, it was like, oh, uh, this is something that I'm really enjoying doing. And I sort of like grew into it and then started to get more and more passionate about it. And now I feel like creators, they go, oh, I'm doing YouTube. And then like two months later, they're like, oh, it doesn't scale as fast as my TikTok is. So I'm just going to do TikTok. And then it's yeah. like, oh, Instagram is the new thing, or like TikTok is like they keep jumping around from platform to platform looking, and whichever looking for one the gives microwave them. microwave solution almost. Yeah, and they're they all they're like addicted to the dopamine hit of getting like a thousand likes on something. And I'm yep. like, yeah, podcasting, there aren't people clicking like. There is no like button on your RSS feed. You're only getting a handful of emails from super fans or from people that super hate you, right? You're getting that kind of feedback. Whereas you post a TikTok and it's like you doing something hilarious, like jumping on a table full of food and screwing it up for everyone. You can get a hundred thousand views and then you get all these comments and you're like, oh, I'm famous now. People podcasting, you, you don't get that. Quick too. Well, that's the thing. Also, you go, oh, buy my new book on something, something. And people are like, yeah, no, I just want to see you do dancing, you know, in a in a bikini, if, you know, or jump on uh, jump off the roof onto your pool again. Like, that's what I'm here for. Podcasting is more like they're spending an hour with you every week or in my case, three times a week with the Jordan Harbinger show. You have to have intelligent content. You have to have really good stuff. You can't have the sort of like two minute long video of you getting punched in the face by somebody who's bigger than you and then like getting it viral. So there's no virality. So dopamine hits are like not the thing that keeps podcasters going, but also it wasn't the reason that I was doing it. I was like, yeah. oh, if people are listening, cool. If people are not listening, cool. I don't really even know because I'm not looking at real time stats. 
Uh, none of that. I'm just talking to smart people and like having good conversations. And that's what kept me going. And that is a snowball brick by brick sort of over time you build the business sort of scenario. Whereas with um, with social media influencers, they're sort of only they're slaves to their dopamine hits of likes and comments. Um, but like you said, people just forget you kind of as quickly as they built you up. And so it, it that's what's kept me in the game. You know, podcasting really slow to come up. Uh, really slow to make money. All those kids that are hooked on the, the the dopamine hit of social media never get into it, or they get in and they quit right away. Yeah. And podcasting, even even celebrities and big companies get into podcasting and find out, oh man, this is like Stalingrad. You know, we're losing a ton of money. It's a huge slog. Uh, it's not growing nearly as fast as we need to. Our investors don't like it, and so. It's hard work. I'm kind of like last man standing. Like it's like yeah. the la I'm the last guy at the party. Like, that's why you get the girl. You're the last guy at the party. Like she doesn't. There's nobody left. You're the, you're the only you know, one like, left, Jordan. <laughs> that's I'm the only one left. So so after like 14 years, slowly building audience. You know, word of mouth only. Not you can't market it. There's no viral appeal. But over that time, I got good at interviewing people. I got good at being on the mic. I got good at promotion um, on other channels. You know, I slowly saved up money and built a budget and figured out how to run ads and other shows to grow the Jordan Harbinger show. I've got bigger and bigger guests. Now that podcasting is something I don't have to explain to people, yeah. when I reach out and I go, hey, I got a podcast, it's like this big, they go, wow, that's big for a podcast. And I go, oh, cool, you actually have heard of podcasting. Whereas like 10 years ago, people would go, what do you do? And I'd go, do you know what a podcast is? And they'd be like, mm, I don't think so. Now I can talk to a 75 year old and I go, they go, what do you do? And I go, do you know what a podcast is? And they go, I'm not that old man. Come on. And I'm like, oh, good. So it's easier to get guests. Now I'm selling ads is easier because you're not saying, Hey, there's this thing that you can't see called podcasting that you've never heard of. And they're like, eh, our digital budget is all going into Facebook. Bye. Now everyone knows what podcasts are there. Yeah. There's money coming in. And I'm sort of there at the top like of this rainstorm with like my giant net out to catch all the money yeah. um, and other brands are now jumping into it and they're going, Oh yeah. How do we make millions of dollars in podcasting? And they're like slowly, 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 like, slowly start, over start time. You build a brand years ago when I start did, 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so even these huge brands that are getting into podcasting, they're spending like $50 million in investor cash to make like $5 million in their first year of podcasting. And their exit strategy is run in the red until Amazon buys us, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Oh, that's terrifying. My strategy is just build slowly over time and stay in the black the whole time, which is exactly what we've done, and run yeah. a super profitable business. That's amazing. I love that. Do you think, it just obviously, because I'm curious about this, uh, do you think the podcast space has a lot of room to grow? Where do you see it going over the next 10 years? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like second innings right now. Like everyone's like, oh, you know, yeah. social media rounds over the top and da -da. podcasting being decentralized so far, um, Spotify and Google and, uh, you know, other channels may try and fight against that. But there's so much room to grow. The tools are almost in their infancy. Like right now we're using like Squadcast or other competitors. Like th these things are all new. Yeah. Um, there are, there's bandwidth issues that people are slowly overcoming. Um, but like the, right now I think we're poised to hit like a billion dollars in gross revenue as an industry radio, which like, let's admit it, nobody listens to anymore that, you know, who's got a freaking iPhone. Um, radio still like a $18 billion or Jeez whatever, it. 16 billion. So that's radio, something where we go, Oh my God, you still listen to the radio. That's like, terrifying. Why? Yeah. It's terrifying. So we're not even at, we're like 8% 
of that industry when eventually radio is going to be all but dead. It'll be like a weird hobbyist thing. Right. And podcasting will be the main thing because it'll, or streaming audio, I should say, will be the main thing. So we have so much further to go um, as far as like radio and podcasting. Like we, we're in, you know, 5% as big as we can be or, or, or less uh, yeah. as an industry. And the tools, like I said, are kind of new and like, companies are still getting into it, you know, and radio hosts are still like, yeah, shouldn't I have a podcast? And their network's like, yeah, we'll just upload your radio show. And then it like tanks because nobody wants to hear a freaking radio show right. with 7 billion commercials in it as a podcast when they can hear a well-produced podcast. So like people are still sort of figuring out that transition. So I'm, I'm like, it's great for creators like me who go, yeah, yeah, I'm not repurposing a radio show and making it a podcast. I'm podcasting and I'm at the top of this industry in many ways, um, you know, as far as downloads and as far as revenue. And that's like a really good place to be because when people look to get into podcasting, they don't go, let me invest in all these really small creators and small shows. They go, all right, who's the name brand? Okay, cool. Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, uh, this Jordan Yutz uh, out of San Jose. Uh, yeah, we'll just, okay, take a million bucks put it into those shows, let's see what happens. And yeah. then we kill it for them and they're like, great. But we're at the top of the funnel, which means all that early money is like in our pocket. So if we can run profitably, then, you know, we live a pretty good lifestyle, finally. Yeah, and you've got a, a little bit of a head up as, as everybody else is trying to get into the industry as it continues to grow too. I mean, every single week I'm getting an email from like a, a major brand or a university or some agency going, all right, we need to figure this out. Would you join our creator board or our advisory board or would you help us market it? Uh, and I'll go, yeah, what's the budget for this? And there'll be like 200 grand, 40 grand, you know, for the, something smaller. And I'm going, holy cow, I'm now making like what I would have made in a year being a lawyer. And you want me to jump on a quarterly or monthly Zoom call with a bunch of other people and to tell help, you what I think you should soul. be doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is awesome. You know, like this is great. Not that it's just easy money or anything like that, but it's something I'm really passionate about, interested in. There's not a whole lot of other people that can help. And it's like these brands and these companies are just like, we need to crack the code and you've spent 14 years cracking it. And that knowledge is now finally valuable. Um, and, and so that's where we're at now. And I'm kind of like, oh good. All those years I spent making like 20 grand a year, 30 grand a year, 50 grand a year. Now it's like, if I'm making that in like, I'm making that in like a week or two and I'm starting to make it up on the back end, which is what's really exciting for me about this industry is it's like kind of finally being recognized. It's like somebody who got really good at a sport. Nobody gave a shit about. And now that sport is somehow popular. Like the guys who did MMA in like 2001. Yeah. And they're just like getting their ass kicked. And, and now it's like, Oh, they're running a chain of MMA schools and they're making millions of dollars a year. And they're like, man, I'm making a month when I got paid for my prize fight, you know, my career capping prize fight because they own seven schools around the Midwest or something teaching people how to fight. It's like, the, I feel like one of those guys, like Ken Shamrock, you yeah. know? Ken Shamrock's amazing, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, it something came to me as you were kind of talking about that, right? It's because you were willing to do it from the beginning not for the money, not for the likes. Right. You, you right. did it because it was what you wanted to do and it was the right thing to do. And as you know, that caught on, now you're really starting to see the benefit of that, where I think a lot of people go down the route of wanting to do something simply because it might make them some quick cash. And that's the real issue. That's always it. And, and it's great because podcasting will still now attract those people, but then yeah. it will chew them up and spit them out. But only after they've promoted podcasting and brought like a bunch of new people into the market, 
to listen to, to their listen show, to show that they then quit doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like they'll go, oh man, yeah, I've got this new show or like, we've got this new show as a brand, come and listen to it. And then three months in, they're like, or a month in, they're like, oh my God, it's too much work. There's no ROI. But the people they marketed to are now like, oh, what else is in this app that I never use? Let me yeah. take a look. Oh, the Jordan Harbinger show. Who's this clown? Like, oh, I kind of like this. You know, so so the market keeps growing due to people coming in and getting slaughtered at the gates. And yeah. then people like me were in a good position to take uh, to monetize those people and like ha serve them and, and create audience from that is great. And that's just slowly how it's going. Right. Like YouTube, everyone has access to it. Podcasting eventually will kind of be like that. They'll eventually, you know, Spotify is making it really accessible for everyone. Other brands are making it real. Facebook now has a thing coming that's yeah. making it really accessible. So. It's just now all of us who finally are in a position to do so just need buckets to kind of catch the rain. And yes, there will be more competent players in the space, but it's fine because there's, it's there's such a, more people listening to the overall. So many more grow, and yeah. so much more money. And like it doesn't really matter. Like you don't need to be the only person in the space. But since it's so hard to build a brand in podcasting, as long as the money outpaces the new entrants competing for it, which it so far is looks like that's going to be the case for several years now then great you know sign me up well i'm already signed up but yeah <laughs> resign you up <laughs> resign um, me up dude i i love what you're talking about here a uh, couple of quick questions for you uh before i let you go number one yeah um you mentioned again you mentioned not doing it for the money you mentioned not doing it for the likes what it, but now that you have the money and now that you have the likes or the listens or the follows if you will mm -hmm. um how would you actually define success for your life um, doing work that I mostly enjoy, like, that's the thing. Once you get up to a base level of salary where you're like, okay, my needs are met yeah. and I can go on a couple nice vacations and I can afford my mortgage and I'm not like stressing out looking at the grocery bill, like yeah. that kind of once. And, and I think for it, it varies, but there's been studies about this where like, if you're making $65,000, like you're, you're at this level of happiness according to these surveys. And then every like. $5,000 you make after that is like non, it, it's like, yeah. doesn't move the needle until you get to like $500,000 a year or something like that. Yep. So as soon as that sort of basic set of needs is met, you're good. And then, uh, what else? The, so, so beyond that, sort of once you hit that level of financial success, then it becomes, okay, I want to do work that I mostly enjoy. So I don't want to be like slogging through photo shit. That's, this is one reason why I don't do social media is I looked at the return on investment. And I was like, it's expensive and I freaking hate it. Yeah. And I look at my friends who, I have friends who are like super popular social media influencers. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, a photo shoot. What, what about tomorrow? A photo shoot. What about the day after that? A video shoot. And I'm like, this sounds horrible for me. They yeah. love it. They love it. You go, you go it. on your fancy vacation to Tulum, but you don't get to enjoy yeah. it because you're trying to capture the pretty pictures. Rather right. Than actually and some of them present. love that shit, and I'm like, that sounds horrible. I'd rather pay, and then nobody freaking bother me, and don't take yeah. a picture. Like, take one picture, so I know I was there. You know, but I don't post it. I don't do any of that crap. I don't do anything for the likes. I don't participate in social media. I just answer my DMs from show fans and post funny stories. I don't sit there and, like, craft a bullshit lifestyle story for everyone to follow. Um, so I do work that I mostly enjoy. I mostly read books. I mostly just talk to smart and interesting people. The end. I go back to my life. Um, and then it's about, like, free time you know, can you take a month off if you want to? If yes, you're doing something right. If if you're, uh, and, and this is the problem with YouTube also, I know some guys that have like 6 million YouTube subs and I'm like, oh man, you guys must be printing money. They're making like the same amount of money as I do, except they have 20 employees and they go, I haven't taken a week off since 
2015 because the second you don't post a video, YouTube is like, you're dead to me and like screws up your algorithm features. With podcasting, there's no algorithm. That's another thing I love about it. But like, I don't have to be a slave to any sort of timeline. So I'm doing work that I mostly enjoy. I'm making a good amount of money that satisfies all my needs. I have tons of flexibility. Like that's what success is. You know, if there's a time where you become a slave to your timeline, you might as well just also have a boss. Yeah. You know, because you're get, just the whip might not you, be getting cracked by some your own nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. You built yourself a job and, and that's fine if you love it. It's better if you love it, but it's still not really ideal. Like I'd right now, if my wife goes, hey, do you want to take Jaden, my, my two year old for a haircut? I can go. Yeah, I'm just reading for the entire rest of the day. And then she's like, OK, great. So we'll go take him for a haircut. Oh, she's like, hey. Um, do you want to go out to lunch and like meet with so-and-so? And I go, oh, I have a phone call. All right, let me move that to later. And then, yeah, just scratch whatever I was going to do for the rest of the day, push it a couple hours. Then we can have an hour, 90 minute lunch with friends. You know, like that's the kind of flexibility that, that even wealthy people I know who make like $10 million a year at a hedge fund, they can never do that shit ever Yeah, because they are constantly, they're glued. Oh, I can't do anything till the markets close in Dubai. Okay. Whatever, man. You know, they're doing that and they make a ton of money, but they don't have any flexibility. They don't have, like, I, I asked a buddy of mine to go on a vacation with me to Prague. And he's like, yeah, but I just need to be awake during trading hours at such and such. And I'm like, he's like, don't worry, I can work from anywhere. And I'm like, imagine we're at a bar in Prague and you're like on, you're on your freaking app making buys and sells the whole time. Like, are you really going to enjoy not, that? You're not actually there in, on vacation. Not there. Prague, yeah. And and look, it's better than working in an office. It's better than having a sort of day slave, you know, wage wage slave, whatever job, whatever you want to call it, where you hate your boss. Um, not that there's anything wrong with having a job. It's just if you hate it, then it's a problem. But you're still glued to it. So I'm like, okay, make enough money to secure needs. That's successful. Do work that I mostly enjoy. Uh, that's you know, I never say a hundred percent enjoy because there's always shit you got to dig. Yeah. Um. But then the, the, add that to the the next component of being successful, and then the third element is flexibility. Like, are you making good money with flexibility while doing something you mostly love? If so, that's massively successful more than like most anybody in the world. Yeah, I love that man. All right, one last question for you, Jordan. If you could learn one thing in college that you didn't learn in college, what would it be? Uh, there's so many things that I, I mean, I didn't learn much in college at all. I would have liked to have learned like managing and investing money. Luckily my dad knew a lot about that. Like he just was good at like buying index funds cause he worked at Ford and like, that's what you did. You just bought yeah. like 401k funds or whatever. Um, so I learned a bunch of that, but I, I nobody taught me like how to like manage actual business money. And I, even now my wife is an accountant. She's like, Hey, here's the budget for this. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, whatever. Let me know when I overspend, you know, I never learned about any of that stuff. And, and luckily I'm not, uh, uh, I don't buy a bunch of crap, but like college, your whole first year should be like life skills. It yeah. should be like balancing your checkbook, learning how to network for pe- and create and maintain relationships with other people, uh, managing yourself at work, communication skills written and verbal like none of no i learned how to like read gulliver's travels in latin i don't even remember i can't remember right but like none of skull shapes of australopithecines like none of that shit is even remotely relevant that doesn't help you in in being a podcaster no and it's amazing to me that like any university doesn't immediately say hey your first year even just one semester is balancing money uh accounting 
communication skills, professional communication skills, uh, you know, networking. Like, that's the kind of crap they should be teaching. And their students would be so much more successful. But instead, it's just like, oh, choose your own classes. Cool. History 101. Like, that. Yeah. there's a place for that. But it, it's so impractical that it doesn't make any sense. I love it, man. Jordan, this has been absolutely amazing. Uh, where can people learn more about you? Obviously, listening to your podcast. Uh, yeah. Or where can they where can they see more about what's coming up for sure. you? Sure. Yeah, the Jordan Harbinger Show, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R. I'd love it if people check it out. Got a lot of great stuff in there from neuroscientists to astronauts to criminal masterminds and um, at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter and Instagram and also jordanharbinger.com. Pretty simple, pretty easy to find. But thanks for having me on, man. It's a fun, fun show. Absolutely. Thanks for being here, brother. All right, that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton. 